Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. That's right. That's right. Stanley Cup champions. Still feels uh, like it's not even real, right? I'm, you know, I'm now I'm not the only one that feels that way. Uh, so this is uh, season eight, episode one, franchise episode number one eighty-seven, all time. So we're quickly approaching on two hundred. That's uh, very exciting for us. So I want to give a big thanks, first of all, to the band you just heard, The Wild and Free. That is The Wild and Free. They're a local St. Louis band. That song you heard was called Fire. thought that fit pretty well with uh, you know a hockey podcast that's supposed to be hard-hitting, although I guess it probably isn't. We're kind of soft here, but, you know, we, we like to think we're hard-hitting. Um, we, uh, so yeah, I want to thank them. That was, uh, it's really cool to have them, uh, part of the summer shows here. Uh, wanted something a little bit harder since this is supposed to be, uh, you know, something that, uh, embraces the blues facing off against other teams, I guess. So you want it to be a little bit harder, I guess. So I thought fire fit that pretty well. So again, the wild and free, check them out on YouTube. I know that you have an album coming out this summer. Uh, so if you like, uh, you know, kind of rock music uh, uh, and you like local music, I think they're a definitely a band that you definitely check out. Great stuff from them. So also, need to mention at the top here, please check out the letsgoblues.com shop and consider buying a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds go back into the show. Uh, also, should mention to subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, you can listen at letsgobluesradio.com. Uh, make sure you give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I guess it is called now, and leave a review. Let us know what you think, especially of the summer series that uh, kicks off with this episode. We are behind enemy lines, folks. It has started. Uh, the, the summer series that I have been teasing all year, as I've said on our live shows, I'm I'm excited about it. Don't get me wrong, but I planned okay. You know, November, December. I was like, hey, you know what? Blues are pretty bad. Uh, they're going to be out in April, so I will plan something where there's going to be 30 shows this summer. And I even like worked out a schedule. Like, okay, the blues season ends at this time, which means you know every fourth week there's going to be a second episode released that week. Well, of course, this is the longest postseason that they've ever had which means the shortest offseason they'll ever have so uh two a week for the whole summer so hopefully you want some blues content because i am going to be able to provide it for you and uh yeah it's gonna be fun it's uh similar to what we did last summer but a little different like i said we're gonna have people from each 
uh, team in the NHL coming on to talk about uh, you know certain things, whether it's uh, a matchup between the Blues and that team, or a, a player that was traded between the teams, or whatever we could think of. Uh, you'll be hearing about it here. And uh, today is a great preview of that as Eddie Garcia of the Puck Podcast will be joining me. But before we get to him, we're going to do something that I just came up with uh, two weeks ago. I want to do this every episode. We're going to call it, uh, let's just call this segment, Keep the Party Going. So we are, uh, we're partying, right? I mean, the uh, the Blues are, Blues are Stanley Cup champs. I know, still hard to believe to say. Uh, and uh, I, I decided it'd be fun to let you, the listener, write into us, let us know what this meant to you. You know, what exactly this meant to you as a fan, uh, what this season meant, what it what it's doing for you, and if you would like to voice your thoughts on the Blues Stanley Cup championship, you can email us at radio at letsgoblues.com. We've gotten some great responses. Uh, I'm only going to be able to read one an episode, but we've already gotten a couple. And uh, there's one that I'm particularly very excited to read. It kind of touches close to home, but I'm excited about this one, too. This was actually the first one we got, um, and it's not even from a Blues fan. Uh, His name is Court. He is a police officer in Los Angeles. Now, this is a long email, folks, so bear with me, but uh, it's a good one. So here we go. This is from Court. In Los Angeles. To Kurt, Bill, and Jeff, first of all, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Court. I'm a police officer in Los Angeles and a huge hockey fan. Secondly, I want to extend you guys a huge congratulations on your beloved Blues finally hoisting Lord Stanley's Cup. I personally know the euphoric, ecstatic emotions you are all experiencing right now because I myself got the honor of experiencing the same exact emotions one year ago when I got to witness my beloved Caps finally bringing home the cup. This is why I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the St. Louis Blues and their fans. A, my late mother was born in Joplin, Missouri. Yeah, I know that Joplin is the opposite side of the state, but it's still Missouri. And B, the Blues and the Caps are very similar. Both had the most tortured fan bases in all of the NHL. I used to refer to the Blues as the Caps West and the Caps as the Blues East. That all changed on June 7th, 2018, when the Caps hoisted the cup on that beautiful Vegas evening. I find it so cosmically beautiful that one year later, after the Caps winning the cup, the Blues won it too. I know you guys may be wondering how a guy from Los Angeles became a big Caps fan. It started for me in 1992 when I was in the Marine Corps and stationed in Quantico, Virginia. Growing up in Los Angeles, it was all about the Dodgers and the Lakers for me. I went to a handful of Kings games at the old Inglewood Forum, but hockey didn't resonate with me right away despite it being an exciting era for Kings hockey in Los Angeles with Gretzky, Robitaille, and Kelly Rudy. There was too much about the game I didn't understand. Anyway, while I was stationed in Quantico, my unit used to do Toys for Tots events at the old Cap Center in Landover, Maryland, where the Capitals used to play. One of my buddies was from Detroit and was a huge hockey fan. He explained to me the game and all the nuances. He and I continued to go to a lots of Caps games, and I started to understand the game better. Next thing I knew, I was hooked on hockey. I really fell in love with the Caps and their organization. They treated us great. I got to meet players like Peter Bondra and Dale Hunter. 
Despite the Caps being a perennial playoff contender, they were still a very mom-and-pop feel to their organization. When we went to the Cup Finals in 1998, it was so exciting that that excitement quickly vanished in a quick four-game sweep at the hands of the mighty Detroit Red Wings. We know your feeling, Cord. Don't worry, Blues fans know. It truly reminded me that the Caps were good, but still very far away from being able to truly compete with the big boys. Back then, the Caps were owned by Abe Pollen. Uh, he was a nice man, but it was very obvious that his true love was the Wizards' bullets of the NBA, so he would naturally pour out most of his money on the basketball team instead of the hockey team. He eventually sold the Caps to current owner Ted Leonsis, who was president of AOL. Ted is a Bostonian who truly loved hockey. I eventually moved back home to the West Coast, but my allegiance to the Caps never waned. In the early 2000s, we had some pretty lean years. We were coached by a guy you may have heard of by the name of Bruce Cassidy. He was a total loser, and apparently not much has changed since then. Then in 2005, we ended up with the number one overall draft pick. We used it on a young Russian winger by the name of Alex Ovechkin. A year later, we drafted a young Swedish center by the name of Nicholas Backstrom. The Caps found themselves being the very fun and talented but young and inexperienced team. Unfortunately, all the young talent wasn't translating into wins in the standings. We would have to go through a whole myriad of coaches before finally getting the right one, and even that right coach took a while to get us where we wanted ourselves to be. That right coach turned out to be Barry Trotz. Meanwhile, our rival and tormentor, the Pittsburgh Penguins, were also starting to develop some new young talent with players like Sidney Crosby of Guinea Malkin and Marc-Andre Fleury. It would be another decade of the Penguins torturing us before we would finally break through. I used to pray to God half-jokingly, God, please let me see the Caps win the Cup just once in my lifetime before I leave this earth. Caps fans started to believe that Ovechkin, who was brought here to take us to the promised land, was never going to be able to deliver on what we truly wanted, a championship. Despite all of his Hart trophies and Rocket Richard trophies, we were destined to always come up a bit short. We would question his heart, his leadership, and his overall desire to win. Sound familiar? Yes, Court, it definitely does. That all changed on June 7, 2018. Watching Ovi hoist the cup brought tears of joy to my eyes. Not only was I ecstatic about watching the team that I've been supporting for so long finally reach the pinnacle of success, but I felt so good for Ovi. Watching his raw emotions take over was such a fun thing to see. It was 14 years of frustration and unfair criticisms of being told that he could never win a championship. Before the 2018-19 season started, a lot of hockey writers didn't have very high expectations for the Caps. A beat writer in Washington was interviewing Ovi about the overwhelming predictions of the Caps' upcoming season. Ovi gave a statement that initially he was a very... I'm sorry. Ovi gave a statement that initially was a very innocent one in his thick Russian accent. He said, quote, we're not going to suck this year. That statement turned out to be our play Gloria motto rallying cry. I know you Blues fans must have felt the same way many times. Both our fan bases have been through so much. It's one thing to follow a team that never has any expectations and never wins much, a la the Coyotes and Sabres. But the Blues and Caps had some really good teams that were competitive but could just never get over that hump. Meanwhile, we were forced to watch our arch rivals, the Blackhawks for you, the Pens for us, win cup after cup. Anyway, gentlemen, I apologize for the long-winded nature of this post. Don't apologize, Court, no problem. But after my Caps got eliminated by the Hurricanes in round one, I needed a team to pull for, so I naturally chose my de facto backup team, the Blues. I started listening to your podcast and really found myself enjoying it. 
I was cheering you guys on during your series against Dallas, your series against the Sharks, and obviously against the Boston Bruins. Watching the Blues win the Cup this year really allowed me to relive the emotions of last year, re-experiencing that special feeling of watching a team win its first ever championship after years of frustration, heartbreak, and disappointment. I know the feeling I had the day after the Caps won the Cup. Food never, or I'm sorry, food tasted better that day. Work was more enjoyable that day. I stood a little taller that day. I know you guys are feeling the exact same way. Lastly, on your podcast, you encourage people to support their teams to reach out. Well, here I am. Anyways, gentlemen, enjoy your well-deserved championship. Enjoy your parade. Enjoy everything that comes with it. For me, I was not able to fly back to D.C. for the Caps parade, but I did make it back there for opening night, and I watched them raise the banner. The banner-raising ceremony is going to be very special for you guys. Take care, and let's go Caps, and let's go Blues. Caps versus Blues 2020 Stanley Cup Final. Now, that would be pretty exciting. Uh, Court, thank you very much. I think uh, Blues fans definitely echo the sentiments that you had in that email. Uh, Very heartfelt. We loved reading that. I know Kurt and Bill got a kick out of reading that one, too. So thank you again, Court, for coming on and, uh, um, I'm sorry, for emailing in and letting us know your thoughts on uh, the Caps' big win and, and how it relates to the St. Louis Blues. Well, let's move on to our guest. This is uh, probably what everybody's mostly tuning in for, so uh, keep in mind that uh, every week or every episode, we will have a pretty interesting guest. I have I am yet to interview anybody who has not at least been interesting, so uh, pretty good, pretty good so far. I think I've got 18 interviews in. That's not bad. Uh, our guest this week, of course, is Eddie Garcia of the Puck Podcast. He's a credentialed reporter for the Los Angeles Kings, and he's also attended multiple NHL events. A couple of them I attended with him, uh, NHL drafts mostly. Uh, and, of course, he is a longtime Kings fan. He uh, gets into his, his fandom and, and how he got there. Now, keep in mind, and I do mention this in the middle of the recording, we did record this on March 27th. So when the Blues were getting into the playoffs, I thought, there's some stuff in here we talk about, about the Blues how it's going to feel so good when they win the cup. And we did. We went into that for about five, ten minutes. Uh, he talked about the Kings winning their first cup, how exciting it was for him, and he, he kind of related to, you know, if your boys ever win, this is how it's going to feel. I considered taking all that out. But then I re-listened to it, and I thought, you know what? It brought chills to me. And I thought, if it's going to bring chills to me, it might bring chills to someone else just to hear and kind of relive what it's like for somebody who has uh, uh, first witnessed their team win the Stanley Cup. So I decided to leave it in. So you hear that. You might you might think it's a little outdated, but uh, it is left in there intentionally because I think it does add something to this episode. Today we are talking L.A. Kings. I have Eddie Garcia of the Puck Podcast on. Before we get to Eddie, I want to uh, list off a couple facts that uh, – Uh, People may not know about the Blues history with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, St. Louis's all-time record against the Kings in 205 games played. They they are uh, 105-75-22-3. Remember that uh, the first number is ties. The second is, sorry, the third number is ties. The fourth number is overtime losses. First meeting between these teams was on October 21st. 1967 in St. Louis. That was a 3-3 tie. Uh, Barkley Plager, number eight for the Blues. His first game was against the LA Kings on November 29th, 1967. He did not have any points in the 3-2 Blues win. 
Uh, and uh, the franchise, the St. Louis Blues franchise, first ho- first home hat trick was against the LA Kings. Red Berenson scored three goals on April 15th, 1969 in a 4-0 Blues win. That was also in the playoffs. So uh, first playoff matchup for the Blues there with the LA Kings. Lot to talk about here with the Kings, especially with the recent history. But before we get to that, I do want to uh, turn the mic over to my friend, Eddie Garcia. Eddie, thank you for coming on the show. Great to be with you, Jeff. Um, you know, being a, a hockey fan, and I, I always am interested in learning more about the history because, as you know, but your listeners probably don't know, I didn't grow up with hockey because, you know, I was born in Hawaii, raised in California. You know, I didn't get into hockey until number 99 decided to uh, come play in LA and that got my interest going. And and I I think I was like a lot of people that once Gretzky came to LA and, you know, all the overwhelming kind of attention that that got, and then the interest of wanting to see the greatest player in his sport play, it just really, you know, obviously blossomed the interest in, in me and a lot of other people, but I still don't feel like I have a great grasp of the history of the NHL. So in, in doing this and kind of preparing for it and just, you know, looking at the Blues and looking at the original expansion teams, which, of course, the Kings and the Blues came in together into the league, um, you know, you learn little things, which were cool. And so I don't know if you know this, because I was looking at kind of the history of the original expansion teams that, at least according to the Internet, uh, the St. Louis Blues basically came into existence because of the Chicago Blackhawks. Their yes. owner at the time owned the St. Louis arena and he wanted a team in there to of course make money. And so there was a, there was apparently a strong push to have a team in Vancouver. They want the people in Canada have desperately wanted another Canadian team and they thought it was going to happen, but apparently he had the support of other owners and being a, you know, those power struggles, it ended up that he got his wish and the St. Louis blues, even though they didn't officially apply for an expansion franchise, actually got awarded the team because of his influence. So I thought that was very interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, great history uh, that, uh, that I've learned over the years about Sid Solomon uh, uh, getting the team out here. And um, I I know that uh, Vancouver hated St. Louis for that until they got a team there. And I think 1970. So yeah, Mm -hmm. lots of uh, lots of, lots of history there. Um, Especially when you consider, like you said, uh, hockey coming to California in 67, um, but you know, b- before our times, but what do you know about the, uh, the, the history of the Kings? Like how did they get their franchise in LA? Well, I mean, if you know the name Jack Kent cook, uh, you know, known more, I think for his ownership of the Washington Redskins for many years, uh, he was a Canadian and was interested in getting into the NHL and obviously had the, the funds. Uh, you know, he was able to get the LA Kings and own the LA Lakers at the same time. They played in the same building. Uh, so he was, he was pretty instrumental in getting uh, hockey here in Los Angeles. He felt like there were enough, uh, you know, Canadians who had migrated to Southern California that if, if they at least showed up for the games that they would, uh, be successful enough to, uh, you know, to get hockey here, which it didn't have a lot of history, obviously. Um, there were some other minor league teams back in the days. There was an LA Sharks team and and some other teams. But uh, yeah, he he was the guy who was the original owner and uh, you know had the same colors as the Lakers back in the day. 
uh, played in the same building. So his ownership of the Lakers uh, was able to help uh, get the NHL here in L.A. So you mentioned that, you know, hockey really didn't take off in L.A. until Wayne Gretzky's arrival, which we'll get to here in a minute. But um, one of the names in King's history that I don't want to say it's forgotten, but people talk about great Kings. And, you know, obviously you think of the current players now. You think of Gretzky and Robitaille and Rob Blake. But Marcel Dion, that guy has had a hell of a career. And you don't really hear him mentioned among the greats when you talk about the LA Kings with, with the general fan. Um, did you see Marcel Dion play? And um, and what do you remember of his style? I did not see Marcel Dion play. That was before my time. Um, like I said, I really didn't get into hockey or the Kings until Gretzky came. Um, so, um, and I, I just think Marcel Dion, uh, he was obviously, he obviously he is a Hall of Famer and he put up some amazing numbers. And I think you know, throughout the league, he certainly amongst his peers was one of those guys that was very, very well respected. But he was he was one of those guys that we've seen it in many sports, uh, a great player playing on a horrible team. And, you know, you don't see him play in the playoffs uh, and he's not able to do those things because he doesn't have the opportunity. And so it it hurts his overall, you know, career as far as how he's held up against some of the greats of his era because he just didn't have that, that spectacular. He never won a cup, never had much playoff success. The team never had much playoff success. I mean, he was a guy who was, you know, in the heart trophy voting, you know, during his prime pretty much every year he was in the top five, but uh, it just, you know, like I said, he played on some really bad teams uh, despite some really great numbers. And so that's, that's why he doesn't get his due. But I, like I said, amongst people who were following hockey at that time, I think they certainly, understood his amazing talent and uh which resulted in you know obviously him being in the hall of fame the first la king to ever go in the hall of fame so uh again it seems like our our conversation here is is kind of centered around one guy but uh really when you talk california and you talk hockey you got to talk wayne gretzky uh august 9th 1988 one of the biggest days in nhl history the day that uh wayne gretzky has been traded from the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings. You mentioned that that's when you kind of started to get into hockey a little bit more. And from listening to the Puck Podcast, I know uh, some of your work in college and Fresno uh, really kind of kind of pushed that more. But but what do you remember of the Gretzky trade? Um, you know, when when you heard the news, Wayne Gretzky's coming to L.A. What did that mean to you? Honestly, at the time, it didn't mean much to me other than piqued my curiosity. You know, um, I, like I said, I wasn't into hockey. I didn't play the game growing up. I didn't watch the game growing up. Um, I was a huge sports fan at the time. You know, when I got around like, I don't know, 10, 12 years old was when I kind of became just crazy about sports. And it was all about, obviously, football and baseball and basketball. And it just it just wasn't something I was exposed to. and so. Once he came to L.A., it was kind of like, hey, did you guys hear this? The greatest player in the game is coming to L.A. And you're like, really? How did? Why did that happen? How did that happen? Uh, you knew the name, but you didn't really know much more than that, you know? Um, maybe it would be something like in soccer, right? Like if you weren't a soccer fan and you found out whoever the greatest player was in soccer was coming to your town, and suddenly you're like, okay, well, maybe I should go check this out, you know? And so, And I wasn't even living in Los Angeles at the time, so... Um, it was something that I, you know, was interested in, in a, 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 from afar, 
Uh, obviously, there were no San Jose Sharks. There were no Anaheim Ducks at the time. Uh, and so I was lucky enough that the, this, the town that I grew up in, which was in Central California, we got the, the LA stations uh, because, you know, we were in Central California. There's not a lot of other things to, to see. So we got we were able to get the LA stations, including at the time it was called Prime Ticket, which is now, I guess, Fox Sports West. And um, I was able to watch the, the Kings games. And, uh, and so I, I watched sporadically. And then I remember um, I had a really good friend in college uh, named Gary Petrosian, who was a, a huge Kings fan. And he helped me to get into it. And then the first year I really followed the Kings from the start of the season to the end was the 92-93 season. And they went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. And that was a magical year. The Kings had never been, obviously, to the Stanley Cup Finals before. I don't even think they were ever in the Conference Finals before at that point. And so it was it was amazing to experience that. And it sold me on hockey and the Kings for life. It was just that whole playoff series was amazing. Seven-game series in the Western Conference Finals against the Maple Leafs. Gretzky gets the hat trick in Toronto. You know, they go on to play the Canadians. That had a really difficult ending for for me. Uh, and the Kings fans, but um, it, it like I said, that run to the Stanley Cup, experiencing Stanley Cup playoff hockey, that was it. I'm like, I'm in. I'm all in on this. I'm all in on this sport. And so since that year, you know, it's just grown. Honestly, my love for the sport has grown. I, you, As you know, I play. I've been playing for, I don't know, 12 years now. Every weekend I play. I just, you know, I love the sport. But it, it's kind of cool. I still feel like I'm, in a way, I'm kind of learning about it, you know, because um, there's, I still don't know it all because I didn't grow up with it. But like I said, Gretzky was huge for me and a lot of other people in getting us interested in hockey. And, and it's just kind of taken off from there. From there. Love hearing that, that, uh, you, you still feel like a student of the game, even though you have the number one hockey podcast, uh, on iTunes. So, uh, humble brag there for you, Eddie. Hope you enjoy that. Yeah, it's true though. It's, I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm trying to be, uh, I try to be humble, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. I mean, the podcast has uh, taken off and, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, you know, um, getting to be credentialed, you know, by the teams here, by the LA Kings and getting to experience the Stanley Cup playoffs and the two Stanley Cups as someone getting to go to those games and having all the access and going on the ice after, you know, winning the cup. And I was lucky enough that they won both their cups at home, which isn't always, you know, something that happens for teams. So, you know, thanks to the podcast, uh, you know, I've been able to experience a lot of amazing things and watching my favorite team, you know, have some success here recently. So uh, we'll we'll get to a little bit more of that in a little bit. But I want to, again, uh, ask you about Wayne Gretzky. So this is kind of getting more into our uh, our discussion that I was wanting to have about the Blues and the Kings. For me, uh, the the real history between these two teams and maybe it's just my age. Maybe it's um, just the time frame of the Blues teams back then. Um, 1996, February 27th, Wayne Gretzky has been traded to the St. Louis Blues. Now, St. Louis rejoiced. I mean, there was uh, that was a big trade. For those that, that are wondering what was involved in that trade, if you don't remember, Craig Johnson, Patrice Tardif, uh, Roman Vopat, and then a couple draft picks who turned out to really be nothing. Uh, fifth round pick and a first round pick, but um, yeah, they. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that was a big deal in St. Louis. Um, I remember the the news stations just blowing up with 
Hall and Gretzky, the two greatest of all time, playing together. And it was just such a momentous event for St. Louis Blues fans and even just anyone in St. Louis to be around and, and to, to, to witness the great one coming to St. Louis, even though it was toward the latter days of his career. But what was the response like in L.A. when that happened? It, it certainly wasn't the same as when Gretzky left Edmonton because Gretzky wasn't in his prime. Uh, the, the, the team was, after they went to that Stanley Cup Finals run, uh, you know, after that it was, I think it was five straight years, no, four straight years of missing the playoffs, and they weren't good at all. And so, look, anytime you trade away the greatest player of all time, that's not a good thing. But I think at the time, and, and Wayne wanted to move on as well. I mean, he didn't, he wasn't real public about that, but he did. He, he felt like, look, this isn't working here. I've, I've made my impact here. We had our Stanley Cup run, but this team is going nowhere. And I'd like to go somewhere else to finish out my career. You know, he, w- he wasn't the Wayne Gretzky uh, of his prime, obviously. He was 35 years old at the time. He was still putting up good numbers. He was still racking up, you know, 100 points a season. But he wasn't scoring the goals like he used to. He was having some injury issues as well. And so I think, you know, the Kings felt like, okay, we're going nowhere. You've been good for us. We want to do right by you and also try and help out the team. So we're going to ship you out, get some assets that hopefully can help turn things around for us. And I think Kings fans, it was obviously kind of the end of an era. But at the same time, I think a lot of people who were really, you know, following the sport were realistic about, you know, the fact that it wasn't going to happen with him here. It looked like he wanted to go and we needed to do something to try and inject some talent and into the into the franchise to turn things around and so that's it was sad to see him leave but it, i think i think a lot of people understood it but as you said boy the, the the trade was really not great for either side ultimately i mean yeah. i understand why the blues did it i understand the excitement around it um but you consider the fact that what he 31 games he ended up playing for st louis um yeah. and uh the kings got oh my I mean, you get five assets, okay. But, man, was it nothing. I mean, the best player we got was Craig Johnson. And no disrespect to Craig Johnson. He spent eight years in L.A. He was a good role player, a good third, fourth line guy. But when, it, when, when, the, you know, that was, when you trade away Wayne Gretzky and you get Craig Johnson, and that's <laughs> the best thing you get, that's not a good deal. It certainly didn't work out with the Kings. Roman Vopat played 57 games for the Kings. He had four goals and eight assists. Patrice Tardif played 15 games for the Kings. He had one goal, one assist. You talked about the draft picks. Uh, Peter Hogan was a defenseman, fifth-round pick in 1996, never played in the NHL. And then the first-round pick in 1997 was a guy named Matt Lutek. He was a left-winger. He refused to sign with the Kings. He ended up getting redrafted by the Bruins in 99 and never played in the NHL. So, I mean, it really (laughs) was nothing for the LA Kings to say this, this deal didn't work out for LA was an understatement. Well, let's just be honest here. It didn't really work out for the blues either. Everyone in St. Louis remembers how that one ended. Uh, thank you, Steve Eiserman. Um, something that yes. I try not to mention on the show, but sometimes it does come up because it's one of the heart, most heartbreaking losses blues fans have ever witnessed. Um, I know I'm, <laughs> I know every time it comes up on the show, it's, Oh, why do we have to talk about this? It's just going to get me down in the dumps. I'm sure you guys have had moments like that. Was it was it the uh the the stick 
Marty McSorley stick? Is that is that your moment in LA Kings that oh, makes you just depressed instantly? Well, for me, yes. And look, obviously things have look, if we and I'm not I'm not trying to pile onto the blues here. You guys understand your history. It's been a tough history. Yes. Um, if the Kings had never gone on to win the two Stanley Cups after that, that moment would be a dagger. I mean, it's been that it's been alleviated since the two Stanley Cups. Um, but at the time, you got to understand the Kings were going to go up two games to nothing coming home. Uh, I really, truly believe they were going to win the Stanley Cup if, and if you don't remember, Jacques Demers was the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. There's all kinds of, you know, wild stories surrounding the whole issue. But late in the game, he knew Marty McSorley, the defenseman for the Kings, or not the defenseman, the, the forward for the Kings, was using an illegal stick. The curve was was too much, which he had used all year. Everyone knew it. And he decided to have the stick inspected by the officials. Ended up, it was an illegal stick. The Kings were penalized. The Canadians went on to score on the power play to tie the game and eventually go on to win that game in overtime. So I, I, I really don't think it's hyperbole to say if that incident doesn't happen, it's, there's a, a, a very strong possibility the Kings go on to win that cup. Again, you're up 2 nothing. You're coming home for the next two. They were you know, on a magical run. But that it changed everything. So that was yes, that was a dagger. Uh, that moment, um, and you can you know there was there were stories that um, the Canadians had sent some of their stick boys into the Kings locker room to inspect all the sticks and let them know which ones were illegal and which ones weren't. <laughs> which is illegal, by the way. You can't go into the other team's locker room to go through their equipment. You know that was something that was was not supposedly allowed, but. That was the story that that did happen. Whether it did or not, I don't know. Like I said, it wasn't a, a, a great, well kept secret that there were certain players, you know, that used certain illegal sticks. But anyway, yes, at the time, that was a really tough moment in LA Kings history, especially since, you know, going forward, the team had reverted back into their years of being almost an irrelevant franchise. So. Fortunately, and I know we're going to talk about you know the recent history here for the Kings and and the Blues in the playoffs, but uh, fortunately things were able to you know get turned around here for a couple of years, and we had a couple of magical seasons. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about especially that first uh, Cup run in 2012 to maybe uh, uh, give some. Well, as I've told everyone on Twitter and Facebook, uh, we are recording this in March, and this probably will not air hopefully until uh, late later in the summer because the Blues had a long playoff run, so we will see. But if the Blues end up uh, being the Blues and not doing, uh, not going the distance, it'll be nice, I think, for Blues fans to hear from you, uh, someone who has went through the strife of never winning a cup and then finally getting one on a magical run in 2012. We'll get to that in a minute. Before we do that, I do want to mention one more series uh, before we get to that one, and that was hey, in 19... 19- yeah. real, real yeah. Can I ask you... Uh, about the end of the Gretzky run <laughs> in St. Louis. So they, they lose, obviously, as you mentioned, in Game 7 to the Red Wings. If they win that game, they go to the Conference Finals, and who knows what happens from there. Um, it, it, as far as the Gretzky thing not working, because he was a free agent after the year, the Blues offered him a three-year, $15 million deal. He took a two-year, $8 million deal to go to the Rangers. Was it because he felt that the chemistry just wasn't there with, with Brett Hall that everyone thought was going to be there. 
Was it Mike Keenan and, and criticizing Gretzky uh, that decided to drive him away and take the deal in, in New York? Or was it kind of a combination of things? What's the feeling in St. Louis as to why Gretzky didn't decide to give it some more time in St. Louis? It was Mike Keenan, 100%. Um, it was uh, pretty well known that uh, when he came here, I mean, you got to think about it. Uh, the reason St. Louis worked for him, too, is he met his wife, Janet Jones, right. uh, in L.A., and she's from St. Louis. So this right. just was a perfect fit, a perfect moment for him to come to this franchise and end his career here. Um, Mike Keenan had made a bunch of promises to him when he first got to the team, and then uh, and then he lowballed him when he decided to uh, uh, actually make an offer to him when it came time to actually offer it after the season. Gretzky right, was pissed. Keenan, and Keenan was the coach and the GM. Yes, which, yeah. you know, that always seems to work, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, he kind of drove him out of town and – and then, uh, you know, uh, he tried moving Brett Hall after that, which Hall did leave a couple of years later. But uh, that is a big reason why Mike Keenan did not last long after Gretzky left. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Not, not really a surprise, I would imagine, for you. <laughs> no, not really. He, I mean, Mike Keenan is a guy, obviously, you know, when you win a Stanley Cup in a place like New York and you do it, you know, with a, with a franchise that hadn't won it in a long, long time, you're going to get a certain amount of cachet from that. But I think overall in his career, uh, you know, he was a guy who is no is well known and made a lot of noise and was a guy who was outspoken. But in the end, I don't know that he had a lot of friends in the NHL. No, uh, no. Yeah, when it's all said and done, which There's is probably why great... he was coaching in Russia. Yes. Yes. And China, right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. There's, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Um, there's, uh, I know there's a large contingent of Blues players who have so many great stories about the Mike Keenan era. And uh, Kelly Chase has told a couple of them when he was on the radio. And um, there was a couple books by our friend, uh, uh, actually a mutual friend for you, friend of the Puck Podcast, Jeremy Rutherford. Uh, he's written a couple books about uh, uh, just Blues history. And uh Everyone, there's always great Keenan stories. So I would imagine the the Rangers players, the Blackhawks players, whatever he coached, they probably all have some some pretty good stories on him as well. So uh, I did want to get to the '98 series, which uh, uh, again, this was uh, this was the Brett Hall era for the Blues. Um, actually, right at the end of the Brett Hall era, uh, as he went to the Dallas Stars the next year. But uh, that was a big playoff run. Everybody thought that maybe if uh, the Blues could string something together. Maybe he'd stay because he was, you know, kind of searching for a cup. Uh, that ended up not happening, but they met the LA Kings in the first round. And uh, the Kings came in as a, a team that uh, was kind of known for scoring some goals. They were pretty high up in goal scored, but uh, they they uh, did allow a lot of goals as well. So uh, for the Blues, who were first in goals, thought, all right, we'll just blow them out of the water. And they did that in game one. They uh, In St. Louis, they beat them 8-3, to three, and that was uh, just a, a, a monster of a game. I actually remember that one. Uh, then they squeaked out a win in game two, and uh, so they go up 2-0. They go back to L.A. The Kings take a 3 nothing lead in game three, and you think, oh, boy, we got a series here. And then a moment that, that Blues fans of, of at least my age and older remember so well, and I, I'm sure you do too, is uh, is the Jeff Courtnall on Jamie Store incident? Do you remember that moment? Yeah, I do. And um, 
for the Kings, you know, this was obviously no Gretzky's not there anymore. This was the you know Luke Robitaille, uh, but I mean, this was a, not a great Kings team either. I mean, you know, Glenn Murray was their leading scorer, Yannick Perot, you know, Joseph Stumpel. These are not household names, right? These are not future Hall of Famers. So, I mean, this was a Kings team that you know was okay, good enough to get into the playoffs, but uh, I don't think anyone really expected much from them. But uh, yes, as you mentioned, and this is still on YouTube. I mean, YouTube is a wondrous thing because you can yes. actually go back and experience these things and not just remember them in your mind, but go back and, and, and see if, if what you remember is what was accurate. But yeah, there was an incident, uh, you know, in this game, uh, in the third period where, as you mentioned, it was um, Jeff Courtnall, uh running into Jamie Storr, the goaltender at the time of the Kings and knocking him to the ice and the response was for defenseman sean o'donnell to to jump on court and all and when it was all said and done the blues got a five minute power play <laughs> they erased the three nothing lead to tie it and then eventually uh scored the game-winning goal there uh to take a commanding 2-0 lead and then go on to sweep the series so you know when you've got a three nothing lead in the third period you're thinking you're you're pretty good shape to to even up the series, but uh, yeah, that was um, that was uh, not a good time for the Kings. Obviously. Well, and let's let's face it too. I mean, you say in the third period you have a three nothing lead. The Blues scored, and so the penalty happens at eight thirty four. And the reason that it was an offsetting to where the uh, the the Blues got the five minute power play and not a three minute power play was because in the same play. Ian LaPerriere had stepped in and taken a boarding penalty. So Sean O'Donnell gets the game misconduct and fighting five minutes. Courtnall got two minutes on the goalie, and then LaPerriere takes the boarding. So LaPerriere and Courtnall cancel each other out. O'Donnell gets five minutes. So as you said, third period, 3 nothing lead. They didn't score until 9.59. So that's, I mean, you're talking literally halfway through the third period. You've got a three nothing lead on a team that you are de- currently down two nothing in in the series. Um, that just had to be a heartbreaking loss. I mean, I know we talked about the Marty McSorley, but I mean, seeing something like that—that's uh, that's that's got to be something that uh, made you say, "Oh my God, this team's never going to do anything, are they?" Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we thought that a lot, to be honest with you. But <laughs> I mean, look, in hindsight, you're obviously irate about it. Because, you know, and this is obviously from the Kings' perspective, a player on the other team runs your goalie, and they end up getting a five-minute penalty, uh, five-minute power play out of it. That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't seem to equate. Uh, yeah. and, and if you think at the time, uh, and there was only one, this was back when there was just one referee, it was the great Don Koharski. Uh, <laughs> have another donut. <laughs> that guy. Um, he was the only referee on the ice, and he made the call, and you know, look, you can say a lot of things. You can say, hey, the Kings should have killed off the penalty or should have done a better job on the penalty kill. You can say you still have to credit the Blues for scoring the goals. They still had to score the goals despite the opportunity. But in the end, when when a player runs your goalie, there, I mean, you have – I don't know. I, I look at this. I, it's hard for me to fault Sean O'Donnell in this situation, okay? Right. I, I, get, the, I get the sentiment that, look, in the playoffs – you have to let things go. You can't retaliate because of the, what's at stake. You're up 3 nothing. You're halfway through the end of the game, and the guy runs your goalie. How do you really fault a guy for 
for going after somebody because of that, right? So it's hard for me to say Sean O'Donnell was wrong, although I guess ultimately he was wrong. You, you, you would, he would probably tell you I should have saved that for next year, right? To right. get retribution then in hindsight. But at the time, you're up 3 nothing. A guy runs your goalie. You, you really going to let that happen? You're going to just right. let that stand? So I, I don't have a big issue with that. To me, like I said, it, the, the unfairness, if you want to call it that, is like what I said, you can't reward a guy for running a goalie. I understand right. the Ian LaPerriere penalty had already happened, but somehow you got to even that up to me. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I get the five-minute major because he dropped the gloves and he started wailing away on court all, but again, just in the end, you, it's hard to feel right about rewarding a team who runs a goalie. And look, Jeff Cortnall knew what he was doing. Uh, it wasn't vicious, but he hit him. I don't know why he did it other than, I mean, it, was he smart enough to think I can do this and get a five-minute penalty out of it in the, in the <laughs> moment? It's hard to think that, but if he did, then, man, all credit to him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just to see – how that transpired and to see a team basically, like I said, rewarded for hitting a goalie. It's tough to swallow. Obviously if you're a Kings fan. Yeah. I mean, as I said, you know, blue score four goals there uh, for those that are wanting to take this to your next trivia night, Pascal Rion, Brett Hall, Pierre Turgeon, Terry Yake, all in the power play. Um, but no, I remember that moment when that happened and uh, Sean O'Donnell took that penalty. I was watching the game with my dad. Um, I would have been 13 years old and uh, playing, you know, playing hockey at that point. And I remember when that happened, my dad looking at me and saying, so I know Sean O'Donnell looks like the bad guy here. He got a five minute major and Cornell got, you know, two minutes for running the goalie. But I'll tell you what, buddy, he did the right thing there. And I want you to do the exact same thing. If somebody does that to your goalie. Like I said, in the moment when you're watching it, I agree with your dad uh, as a Kings fan. You, you you can't do that, right? If you let a guy get away with that, then and especially we got also have to consider this is a different era of hockey, right? This is mm-hmm. the you know it it wasn't you know the Broad Street Bullies or anything, but this was you know you do something like that, you're going to pay a price for it. And so I, I I agree with your dad that that at the time in the moment, I think Kings fans were like, hell yeah, man, you can't let that guy do that. But right. then of course of course the result is oh no, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, I mean. Like I said, you can always argue the Kings should have do it, did a better job of, of killing the penalties, and you can always say, hey, give all the credit in the world to the Blues for actually taking advantage of the situation. But when it's all said and done, you're just like, like I said, the ultimate feel was how can they run our goalie and benefit from that? It's, it, was, it was obviously very tough to swallow. So, uh, as I said, Blues go on to sweep that series, and they go on to lose, which I don't have it in my notes, but I'm just going to guess it's the Detroit Red Wings that beat them because that's usually what happens with the Blues. Uh, so let's move forward. Again, I want to talk about the 2012 team. This was the next time the Blues and the Kings met in the playoffs, um, and uh, this was uh, this was one that was highly anticipated. Um, for those that, that may not remember, the Blues, uh, this was their first time. Well, they, they'd gone to the playoffs in 2009, but were swept by the Canucks. But this was this team, uh, this was the Ken Hitchcock-led Blues. Uh, they came out of kind of out of nowhere. They were not uh, expected to even make the playoffs that year. 
this was the year Brian Elliott stood on his head. Yaroslav Halak had a good year, and uh, things just seemed to click for the Blues. But at the same time, the LA Kings, who were expected to be good, um, had some struggles. So they they fired uh, uh, their head coach. Was it Terry Murray right before the yes. playoffs? Yes. And they bring in um, somebody that, uh, that that we all we all love uh, his interviews. Mr. Uh, Mr. Brian Sutter, um, Daryl Sutter, Daryl Sutter. Not, there are so many freaking Sutters. It's hard to keep them, I know. Keep them in check, <laughs> but yeah, Daryl Sutter, uh, Mr. Uh, um, uh, uh, what's, what's the word, uh, that bitter we always face. used for him? Bitter, bitter beer face. face. Thank yeah, you. you yes. Keystone commercial. I think it was. Yep. Yep. That's him for sure. So, so this team, these two teams matched up in the second round. The 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 eighth seeded Kings had uh, just pulled off a, a huge upset in the first round. Blues beat the Sharks, um, which they were kind of expected to do at the time. Uh, but you look at the the numbers of the regular season. The Kings uh, they were in 29th in goals for. Blues were in 22nd. So both teams kind of struggled to score goals. I, I think a lot of Blues fans remember a lot of one nothing wins that year. And you look at goals against. Second place was the LA Kings and first place was the St. Louis Blues. So two very similar teams um, going into this series. If you can remember, uh, was there a lot of fear in your heart about playing the St. Louis Blues since they play such a similar smothering style that the LA Kings did? I mean, I think there was definitely a respect there. I mean, you had a Blues team that at the time had won a franchise record 49 games in the season. They had 109 points where the Kings squeaked into the playoffs. Um, but the thing, you know, that first round, they take on the Canucks, the, the, the President's Trophy winners, the number one seed. And they beat them four games to one. And I, I just, the um, a tremendous amount of confidence that they got from that um, certainly gave Kings fans some optimism. They were like, well, if you can beat the President's Cup, you know, the President's Trophy winners, and you could beat the the best team in hockey in five games. Yeah, maybe we're getting hot at the right time. So um, I think there was definitely some confidence going into the series. Um, I think we thought it was going to be a hard fought series, a low scoring series, which you know the Kings were always involved in those with the style that they played. Um, but I think you know Yaroslav Halak was hurt and wasn't able to play in that series. So it was all on Brian Elliott. Uh, and unfortunately for him, he didn't have uh, a great series. No, he didn't. And that was, uh, I mean, that was really to me. I mean, I, I had watched a lot of that Kings and Canucks series, and I remember thinking, "Oh man, this is that Kings team that I think everybody thought we were going to see all year." And then, you know, coming into Game One, I thought, "All right, who's going to have the jitters first? Blues had the jitters uh, way worse than the Kings did. I think the Kings looked professional. They came in, they stepped in." A big three-one win against a loud Blues crowd because uh, the first first two games were in St. Louis. Um, guys stepped up like Dustin Penner had a good series, Slava Voinov had a good series, and then of course you got guys like uh, you know at the time Mike Richards was at the top of his game and uh, Drew Doughty, of course, Justin Williams, Mister Game Seven. Um, were you surprised at a sweep in that series? Yeah, I was, and. Um... You know, when you look at that series, it was a balanced effort by the Kings, but led by Jonathan Quick. He was amazing in that series. Um, the special teams for the Kings were amazing in that series. Their penalty kill was at another level. 
Um, and they were obviously able to shut down the Blues offensively pretty much throughout the series. I mean, I think they had a total of six goals in the four-game series. So that obviously spoke to Jonathan Quick. Uh, and, and, and the Blues were 0 for 17 on the power play in the series, including 0 for 9 in game two, which is just, I mean, I'm sure they didn't have the full two minutes for all those nine penalties, but still in the stats, it was 0 for 9. Uh, so again, the, the, really the, the tale of the series was Jonathan Quick, the penalty killing for the Kings, and then just getting contributions from a lot of different guys. And in that game one, I, I don't know if you remember, but Matt Green scored the game winning goal short-handed yes and if you don't remember matt green he was not an offensive uh force <laughs> to say the least he was a big strong tough defenseman who was you know it was kind of uh he was he wasn't a pylon but he was close to it i mean he had his he had his his you know attributes but go- scoring goals wasn't one of them and he only had two goals in his career in the playoffs he had one shorthanded goal in his entire career, and it was the game-winning goal in Game One. So that was uh, shocking, to say the least. Um, yes. So, you know, I know I don't know if we're going to talk. There was a, there was a goal I think in the other series we're going to talk about that was surprising by a blue Barrett Jackman, but that was yes. kind of like that, kind of like that. Uh, yep, I was actually going to I was going to say yeah. that actually. Good call. Yeah, but uh, Matt Green shorthanded goal game winner when that happens you're like wow we're living right uh and then the kings in game two they score four goals in the first period and the blues couldn't recover talked about their chances on the power play game three had mike richards getting the game winning goal on the power play so again specialty teams coming through for the kings and then and then game four dustin brown had a couple of goals quick had another huge game uh allowing just one goal on 24 shots so yeah i I, certainly surprised it was a sweep um uh, just the Blues, unfortunately for them, found a, a, a ran into a good defensive team and a good goaltender, and just couldn't get the goals. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Game Two, and I remember that one because that was when I was in the media and uh, I was sitting next to a friend of the show, Andy Strickland, and it was uh, 31 seconds in. Mike Richards scores, and I remember Strickland looking over me and going, "Yeah, it's going to be a sweep." <laughs> you know, I mean, you just got you had that feel right away because the Kings just. They walked around with that swagger, and you just felt like this this team's not going to lose another game the entire playoffs, and they almost didn't. They won. Uh, they they only lost one in the in the uh, Western Final, and they go on and uh, almost sweep the New Jersey Devils in the final. But the Devils end up squeaking out two wins there at the end. So you win. Your team wins the Stanley Cup, and and obviously this is something Blues fans have been waiting since 1967 for. And this is going to be a broad question, but I just whatever you want to say about it, what was the feeling that you had when your team had finally won the Stanley cup, but especially at home? Uh, it was, it was, it was amazing because, and I'm sure blues fans can relate. It, it kind of had gotten to the point where you wonder, are they ever going to win it? And it sounds silly to say that, but when, I mean, the Kings were aside from that one year where they went to the final, they were an irrelevant franchise. I mean, I know they had Gretzky and that was a big deal, but they did, they basically had done nothing in their entire career other than that one season, entire history other than one season. And you really felt like this is a team that's just never going to win it. And I, I, I'm sure there are some blues fans who don't want to think that, but you just don't know. And 
my my wife is sitting here next to me as I'm, we're doing this on my couch. She's <laughs> a she's a San Diego slash LA Chargers fan, and I know as a diehard fan, she doesn't know honestly if her team will ever win a Super Bowl. I mean, she has literally thought that, and she has been you know kind of heartbroken over the fact that you never know if it's going to happen. You here is a team you've thrown your heart and soul into, your money into your time into, and you just want one reward, just one. And anything after that, you feel like it's it's just icing on the cake. That's how I felt as a Kings fan. And to have them win that first cup in the way they did, being an eight seed and beating the number one, the number two, and the number three seeds to get to the Stanley Cup final, I mean, that was that's, a, that's an impressive road, you know, as the eight seed to do that. And then finally win the Stanley Cup, it just lifted a, I mean, a cloud was lifted. And you just felt like, you know, whatever happens going forward, at least we got that one. And at least we got to see it in our arena. And it was, it, it just was amazing. And then to fast forward it to two years later, and I've talked with people and they said, you know what, the first one will always be the most special. And under the circumstances that I just said, eight seed, first eight seed, and only eight seed to ever win the Stanley Cup, and to go through the top three teams in your conference to get there, uh, it'll never be topped. And it was for me, and I think for a lot of Kings fans, they actually topped it two years later with the way they won the Cup then. And, you know, if you don't remember, uh, they won three consecutive seven-game series they came back in the in round one against the Sharks, down three games to nothing to win that series. They then beat the Ducks on the road in game seven. They then beat the Blackhawks on the road in game seven in overtime and then went on to win the Stanley Cup against the Rangers. I, that was even more amazing. So I guess what I'm saying is it, it was if they never go on to win another Stanley Cup, I will be okay with that because of what I saw those two years and how they did it. Those two amazing postseasons, you know, as, as the, you know, the, the Cubs fan, I think it was the Rangers fan first, right? They had the sign when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup, I can now die yeah. in peace. Yeah, That's kind of how I feel with the Kings. And, and I don't, and I've said this before on the podcast, you've probably heard me say it. If there's any team that I root for other than the Kings to win the cup, it's the St. Louis Blues because I, I feel like I can relate to them. Now, yeah. people can say, well, what about Buffalo? And as a city with the Bills and the Sabres, as a city, I think Buffalo is the one city that is just, you're like, oh, my God, the, those poor Buffalo fans. But you guys do have the Cardinals. And to me, the Cardinals are baseball royalty in my mind. So it's not like the city of St. Louis hasn't had some good times. But if we're just talking hockey, it's a, to me, it's the Blues. They're the one team, original expansion. You go to the Stanley Cup Finals, three, your first three years in existence, and then you never go back since. That's the one team I will really feel good for if and when that day finally comes. And I will, I, like I said, I, I, I hope to be around for <laughs> for you guys to be able to experience it because it it is it's amazing it really is and i i root for you guys this year i will be rooting for the blues 
in the playoffs to finally to finally get that feeling because you just want it once, right? Anything yep. after that, you're like, I mean, look, I hope the Kings win another one before I check out of this earth. But if they don't, I've had that feeling twice. And I, I really hope you guys can feel that someday. I really do, sincerely. This is not to bring the conversation down, but but one of the things, and I'm not kidding when I say this, my dad passed in 2015. One of the last things he said to me on my on his deathbed was, I hope at least you get to see a blue Stanley Cup. So that's that's how much it means to people like me and you and, and my dad and people who are such big fans and you know people who who may not know uh you know Eddie you uh you may have had some of hockey's glory you mentioned that that the Cardinals are um you know kind of the the pinnacle for franchises in the MLB you're a Pirates fan so you know what it's like to be on both sides of it yeah i mean look uh, i i do remember the pirates winning the world series when i was a, a real little kid and that that's what people like you're in LA. Why are you a Pirates fan? Why you're not a Dodgers fan? You know, when you're a kid, you don't, and I grew up in central California, we're equal distance from San Francisco and LA. So there wasn't really any geographical loyalties you had in, in the area I grew up in, you had Giants fans, 49ers fans, Raiders fans, Rams fans. It was everything. It was kind of a hodgepodge. And then you had people like me who were a kid and you latched onto, you know, as kids will do, the team that's cool when you're a kid. And that was the Steelers and the Pirates for me. I remember, if hey, this is, might be before your time, we are family Pirates, Willie Stargell, and they wear those beehive hats. And they were just a, a team, kind of a collection of characters that just caught my attention at the time. And I've been a fan ever since. It hasn't really worked out like it has with the Steelers. Um, <laughs> but, you know, hey, I've been loyal to them ever since. So, yeah, I do... And really, I mean, you say the Pirates, but I, I think even more the Kings, I can relate to Blues fans because of just so many years of thinking it's not going to happen. I think it's been worse, though, for the Blues because you've had some really good teams, though. I mean, and then you had that stretch of, what was it, 25 straight years of going to the playoffs and never making it to a Stanley Cup final. So I think you guys, I mean, you've gone through worse than than me as a Kings fan, I would say, honestly. I'm not trying to be, you know, you understand it. You, you know, I, I, was, I say this to people. And, you know, I know there are some fans out there that kind of, you know, fair weather fans, they'll support a team when they're good, when they're not, they don't care. For the people who go through the bad times with a team and feel that heartbreak, I, I still remember very vividly when they beat, when the Kings beat the Blackhawks in overtime to go to the Stanley Cup final, and my wife and I jumping up and down like children, screaming, and just, that is a memory that, and, and and you don't feel that feeling unless you go through the bad times, right? If you're just a, a fan that, that that I'll 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 when they when they do well I'll get on the bandwagon. Okay, fine, but it's not as meaningful. It's not as special when you've gone through those tough times and you've been there the whole time and you finally see them reach an amazing moment. You, those people will never feel what you feel. So it's tough going through the tough times. But if you do get to reach that mountaintop, it, it, it's worth it. It, it. You may not feel like it now, but it, if you get to feel that, I'm telling you, it, it, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, we, that's something I mentioned on the show to, to fans. I mean, when the Blues had their bad stretch at the beginning of the 18-19 season, um, you know, and I think Doug's actually even said this on the Puck Podcast before. Remember that this is entertainment. This isn't supposed to be a source of of feeling downtrodden and being sad and depressed. If if you're feeling that way, just turn it off. Don't watch and, and distance yourself. But 
for me, you know, and like you said with the Pirates, I'm there for the highs, I'm there for the lows, and and I just because I know that, well, I'm hoping that eventually it pays off, and you have that that moment of glory to where it's just something you're going to remember the rest of your life. I mean, my my dad told me all those times about when he watched all the Cardinals World Series when he was younger. I mean, that was a big deal in St. Louis. You know, hey, look, these guys are winning World Series after World Series, and um, you know, it's the same for for uh, New England Patriots fans. Again, Doug at the Puck Podcast can relate. Um, it's just uh, it's it's worth the wait if you're willing to put up with the bad times. And and uh, Blues fans definitely have had their fair share, to say the least. Well, like I said, I, I hope it works out for you. I, I, I the, the Blues are the team, one of those teams that when my team's not in the playoffs, I always root for them. So. We'll see how it works out for you. I know we're recording this after the season. We hope uh, for your sake that it's uh, later in the year rather than sooner. But uh, like I said, I do feel kind of a connection with Blues fans in a way. And uh, I hope you guys get to experience some of the things I've got to experience here in the last little while. Yeah, I really hope that the last 15 minutes of this conversation is all for nothing because the Blues, you know, we're we're celebrating at this point. So (laughs) let's hope. Uh, if not, uh, sorry, Blues fans. I, I, I promise I did not mean to jinx us. Um, so uh, one more thing I want to really touch on before we uh, kind of finish up here. That's uh, so, so we mentioned the 2012 year. Uh, playoffs again, 2013. Lockout shortened season. Uh, Blues make a couple moves to kind of up their roster and be ready for a team like LA in the playoffs. They get Jay Bomeister. They went and got Jordan Leopold, who's a, a fine defenseman. And then uh, obviously you got guys like Vladimir Tarasenko stepping into their first year, although Ken Hitchcock refused to play him uh, until game four. Uh, I think it was game four. And then, you know, you said a couple guys, you mentioned Barrett Jackman having a big OT winner in game two. Uh, one of the my favorite moments uh, in recent history and, and probably one of your least favorite was Alexander Steen in game one, stealing the puck behind the net shorthanded from uh, Jonathan Quick and uh, scoring a, a big goal into an empty net for the Blues to take a one nothing lead and against the Kings and, and a team, again, that had swept them the year before. So the Blues at home go up 2-0 uh, with two big goals. Uh, Barrett Jackman scores to uh, to put the Blues up 2-1 late in Game 2. Blues go into L.A. with a 2 nothing lead. What are your thoughts uh, coming into L.A. for this series? Do you think we still got a chance, or are you thinking – this blues team's rolling too much and, and it's just not going to, it's just not the year for the LA Kings. Well, I, I, this was the, again, the 2013 lockout short season. This was sandwiched in between the two Kings Stanley cup wins. And they ended up going to the, to the conference finals, losing to the Blackhawks. This was the series. I thought we'd see the year before. Yeah. Every game, this was a six game series. Every game was one goal. We had two overtime games. Every game was hard fought. You mentioned, I mean, there were some, this was a physical, physical series. You had Ryan Reeves. You had Adam Cracknell. You had uh, David Backus. The Kings had, you know, guys like you know, Dwight King and, and Jordan Nolan and, you know, some Dustin of those bigger Penner. Dustin Penner, some bigger bodies. There were some bodies. This was a physical series. So, obviously, going into after losing the first two games of St. Louis, I mean, look, it was 2-1 overtime and 2-1. So you're, you're the Kings were in the in the game, but you know you don't you go down three nothing. That's a hard hole to dig out of. So game three was crucial in L.A. and the Kings end up winning at one nothing. Another just hard fought 
uh, tough game. Jonathan Quick again, 30 saves in the shutout, and Slava Voinov gets the game-winning goal. Um, so that was a crucial win, uh, obviously. And then they come back for the 4-3 win in game four. So, yeah, you're even up, uh, and, and it's the best, of, best of three at that point. So game three was crucial. It could have gone either way. Um, but in the end, I think, you know, I mean, I don't know how you feel about Jonathan Quick as a Blues fan, but, you know, he, he was obviously uh, huge in those two series and being just a little bit of the difference in making those amazing saves and key moments that, unfortunately, you know, Brian Elliott wasn't able to do. Yeah, Jonathan Quick, I, I mean, people in St. Louis, I'm sure, don't like him just because he's had so much success against the Blues. There's a period there where it seemed like the Blues could just never score a goal on him. I've been a big fan of his uh, for a long time. I, I love his style of play, even even today. I mean, I know that he's not what he once was, but I still feel like he's still a good athletic goaltender, never gives up on the play. Um, so, yeah, I've always been a big fan of, of Jonathan Quick. So uh, I wish him luck in the, the rest of his 35-year contract uh, before he retires. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully he can. I mean, look, we, we love Quick here. He's he's. Look, he's I, I believe he's the greatest goalie in Kings history. And and look, you gotta understand Rogie Vashon's a Hall of Famer. So but when it's all said and done, Jonathan Quick's gonna own all the goaltending records um for the LA Kings and probably will be the all time winningest goaltender for an American born goalie and, and hold all those records as well. So we'll see if those eventually get surpassed. But you know, he I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer or not. I mean he's certainly a, I think probably a borderline guy. We don't know what his career is gonna be like going the rest of the way, but um, he's had a great a great career here in LA. His number thirty two is going to go up in the rafters one day at whatever building the Kings are playing in <laughs> down the road. Uh, but uh, yeah, he you know I, I still love the guy. I love his competitiveness. I love his feistiness, and you know being a physical goaltender, as you mentioned, really doing a lot of it with his athletic ability. Obviously, those things are going to go fade as he gets older, but. I think he's still a goaltender. If you can put the, a good team in front of him, that could be a, a, a guy that could, you could have a lot of success with. But, but he's struggling right now. But again, he was he was huge for the Kings in, in those three years where they, uh, you know, the two Stanley Cup wins and then going to the Conference Finals in 2013. But you know that series against St. Louis. I know you feel bad because you go up two nothing. But again, I thought it was a really competitive series. I thought it would be a long series, and I like I said, I thought that was kind of the series we were going to see more of the year before. But it just didn't work out, unfortunately, for the Blues. So speaking of working out for one of our teams, this last year was pretty rough for the LA Kings. Um, they uh, uh, just sputtered out of the gate, never really kind of gained traction. Uh, you know, we're looking at the schedule now. I think there's maybe seven games left, but the Kings have already been uh, mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, you know, obviously a lot going wrong with the team. You got some aging contracts. You've got um, you know, some some guys like Ilya Kovalchuk that was brought in that maybe didn't have the impact you thought he would. Um, but, you know, kind of trying to shed a positive light on things. Going into the summer, what are you expecting this team to do? Um, what what kind of changes do you think we'll see and, and how soon until we see this team possibly challenging for a playoff spot again? Well, the good news is in hockey, it, it can turn around fairly quickly. Um that having been said, I don't know what the Kings are going to do in the offseason to make major changes. Um, they're saddled with some bad contracts, and they're going to be you know, saddled with those contracts for a few more years. So 
I think the, 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 the tough times are going to continue for a few more seasons. Hopefully they can draft well. Hopefully they can develop some, they, you know, they have some decent talent coming up in the pipeline. Um, and, and maybe the final years for guys like Andre Kopitar and, and Jonathan Quick can be productive years. But I, I think there's still going to be some bad times going forward. Um, you know, I, I, we'll see if the Kings can get one of those two picks in the lottery, you know, with uh, them, in, them in Ottawa slash Colorado. Uh, they'll, they'll have the, the second best odds to, w- to, you know, win the lottery. Hopefully they can get one of those those two picks and uh, because I think there are two really standout players to get and, and that would go a long way in helping. But, um, you know, I don't know what they do to get rid of some of those, those, those contracts, guys like Jeff Carter, guys like Dustin Brown, even though he's still a, a, not a terrible player. Um, but uh, I, I still think it's going to be a couple more tough years before we can see the Kings kind of hopefully turn things around. Yeah, that's uh, I, I hope I, I actually really enjoyed those old matchups between the, the Kings and the blues just a couple of years ago. I mean, that that was kind of a rivalry, an outer division rivalry between the two teams. And you see, even now, uh, a lot of Blues fans still feel that way. I don't know how Kings fans feel, but, um, you know, when, when the Blues lost to the uh, the Kings there in January, right before the, they went on their run, um, a lot of people were super pissed off. Like, <laughs> you can't you can't lose to the L.A. Kings. Not only are they the worst team in the league, they're the freaking L.A. Kings. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard that conversation in St. Louis. You know, it's interesting when we started talking about this, uh, despite the fact that these are two original expansion franchises, the Kings and the Blues, they haven't really had much history in the playoffs. I I was surprised to see you guys have actually played the Sharks more in the playoffs than you have the Kings. Yeah, there there was some dirty series there in the early 2000s with the Sharks, too. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we we were talking about it's not a it's not a deep history with the Kings and the Blues, uh, especially in the playoffs. So I was a little surprised that it was as. But again, look, the Kings were terrible for a long time, so that that was a part of the reason why they never met the Blues because the Blues are going to the playoffs every year and the, and the Kings weren't. So that's true. That's, that's part know, of it. You say that uh, there's not a long history between these two teams. Yeah, I think we've gone for an hour and ten minutes talking about it. <laughs> well, I don't know who you're going to talk to when you talk to the, about the Red Wings but good good luck to you and uh, that that show is going to be uh, uh, a, 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 the, the, the baton death march <laughs> that's that's going to be a tough you. one <laughs> yes I'll, I give I'll you admit, full credit for that one we've got uh, we've I've actually already booked it with uh, some friends at the winged wheel podcast very good guys uh, they uh, I did tell them I'm like you're gonna have to give me a little bit of time before we actually start recording one because i yeah. i, I got to make wanna, sure i'm up for that one you might want to have a couple of budweiser's uh before <laughs> during that one to help you get through it but uh, good oh, it'll be during yeah it'll okay. be during All for right. sure <laughs> that's a tough one i mean like i said we're gonna talk about that eiserman goal and just mentioning it in passing hurts actually breaking it down that's gonna be rough uh like, eddie yeah Thanks, man. I, and I want to I want to thank you very much for coming on. You've you've come on our show a couple times, and I know you're a busy guy with um, with your radio show, and then obviously the Puck Podcast does take up a lot of time with how much effort you and Doug put into it. So thank you very much for coming on. But before uh, we close up, I do want to give you plenty of time to tell my listeners how they can find you, where they can hear you, how they can interact with you on social media. Uh, well, yeah, Jeff. Thanks. You've been a you've been a great friend, uh, not only of the of our podcast, but a great friend in general. We hope to get you out here for one of our puck podcast hockey games 
which I know is, is coming up this weekend. That'll happen one of these days, I'm sure. You can bring the family out to Disneyland as well. We'll work, we'll work some kind of vacation in for you. But uh, no, the, the Puck Podcast is uh, going strong here. And I don't, you know, I don't even know, 13th year or something like that of existence. And uh, been able to meet a lot of great people along the way, including you. But uh, if you want to check out our podcast, it's a, it's a weekly uh, podcast that covers the entire NHL. Um, so we talk blues as much as we talk Kings and ducks, which are the two favorite teams of the host of the show. Um, it's, uh, you know, on iTunes at puck podcast, you can, uh, follow us on Twitter at puck podcast. We're on Facebook, you know, puckpodcast.com. or sorry, sorry, facebook.com slash puck podcast. So, uh, yeah, if, uh, you know, if you want to get, you know, at least a, a, a decent understanding of the entire league as the, as the season goes along, uh, hopefully you will uh, check it out. And it's a, What's co- the coolest thing about our podcast is it's a worldwide podcast, something we never envisioned, honestly. Um, listeners in Australia, listeners in Europe, you know, listeners all over the world. It's been really cool to uh, to to have that. So you've got you've got a, an entire kind of hockey world, you know, joining us, and and it's hopefully people will check it out and enjoy it. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, pull a, a Doug Stolhand here and ask you to also mention. Uh, your radio show. How can people find you uh, if they're not in the LA area? Uh, yeah, my my real job is uh, you know being a, a co-host on Fox Sports Radio uh, in the overnight hours. So if you're if you're a night owl, if you're one of those people who uh, works the third shift, uh, you could certainly check out the Ben Maller show. Uh, it's like I said, it's on the Fox Sports Radio network. We're on iHeart Radio. Uh, we're on XM radio and, uh, you know, maybe there's an affiliate there in Missouri somewhere who carries us in, in St. Louis. I'm not sure to be honest with you, but, uh, we're on, uh, and you can convert it to central time for me if you want, but we're on 11 PM to 3 AM, uh, Pacific time. And, uh, like I said, it's a fun show. We talk a lot about sports. I try to inject hockey as much as I can into the conversation. It's uh it's a, it's an uphill battle, but I do my best, but it's a fun show that, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, obviously the NFL and baseball and basketball. So if you're a sports fan, you can check that out as well. Great. Eddie, uh, again, this has been a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, you you uh, had some sentiments for me in our show. Um, I'm going to echo some to you that uh, I'll admit a, a big reason this show started was because uh, after I visited you guys in, in L.A. Uh, back in 2011, I came home and I said, we got to start a blues podcast. And uh called up a, a couple different people who uh, are in the community that I talk to a lot, um, you know, whether it be on blues message boards or on Facebook or Twitter. And um, we started this show in 2011. I mean, this was, uh, this started probably four months after my visit and uh, we are the longest running blues podcast. And we are also the original blues podcast. So a lot of, uh, a lot of what we've done is, is thanks to, uh, to you and Doug and all the work you guys have put in and uh, uh, seeing the dedication that goes into your show. It uh, is really has been a, a, a nice, uh, a nice uh, segue into us starting. Let's go blues radio. Well, any, any impact that we had at all on, on you and what you're doing is a great compliment. So best of luck going forward. And uh, I hope that people enjoy uh, this conversation. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. <laughs> Thanks Eddie. Appreciate it. Well, I want to thank Eddie again for coming on. And, uh, of course, I encourage you to listen to the Puck Podcast. Uh, as I told him, uh, this is what got me into podcasting, was hearing those two guys, Eddie and, and Doug, do their show and how well they do it. 
Uh, it is uh, the pinnacle of hockey podcasts in my mind. Twitter handles for the show. Make sure you check all of us out. The show Twitter, which uh, will always keep you updated on what's going on with the show whenever we have live shows, as well as when the next summer interview series is up. Uh, that is LGB Radio. Kirk Price is at Kirk Price. That's Kirk with a C. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. Our next episode will be released on June 25th. We welcome Garrett Bahana of Pennsburg, and we talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Always good stuff. That will conclude this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope uh, this makes you tune in for the rest of them. And uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, everyone, let's go Blues. Play Gloria. Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day. Play dance. I'm rocking and rolling with the blue.